I do greet you in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus tonight. It is a blessing for Joni and I to be here at Charity Baptist Church, back where we've been on a number of occasions, to see your faces and to fellowship with you, dear people. Again, we're thankful for our visitors that are here with us tonight as well. I want to thank Brother uh, Kevin for the invitation. I love this church and love being a part of this meeting and uh, love the opportunity to try to minister to your people in some way where we can make a difference for the glory of God. Appreciate you, Kevin. Thank you, church, for your hospitality. Open your arms the way that you do. Uh, you always make us feel welcome. I know Brother Ken feels that way. And, uh, and you always take care of us, and we want you to know we're grateful. I want to thank you for the monthly support ever week what checks come in our mission secretary takes it and she uh she puts it on a spreadsheet for me to see for the missionaries in our church to see who 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 sent support in and and how much and uh and then of course she deposits it every week and she sends us an email and and every month I see Charity Baptist Church on there and it always blesses my heart, it humbles my heart to know that people care enough about the gospel and believe that, uh, that God has put me in this place where he's put me enough to send your money. And I want you to know we try to the best of our ability to use it for the glory of God. I want you to know that. I was thinking about Brother Ken tonight while I was listening to him preach. I've been there. I've, uh, I've wa- watched him. I've uh, I went with him on visitation. I watched how me, he and Miss Sherry work. And uh, I can tell you this much. Every penny you give uh, toward Brother Trivet and that Pine Ridge ministry is, is well invested. Well invested. And uh, he's, uh, he's a gift. He, he's a gift uh, to us, to the church, and to the cause of Christ. We love you, Brother Ken. Appreciate you. Thank you for... The message tonight, I always love to hear Brother Ken preach, and, and tonight was uh, no different. It was the same. And uh, I know that uh, you started last night, and we're going to be going through Sunday, and I just uh, trust and pray the Lord will do great and mighty things in our heart. Thank you, ladies, for the singing tonight, Brother Jay, for leading in the congregational music. I could not help while Brother Ken was preaching on whereby we must be saved. I could not help but think of that, of that uh, Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 when Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? You remember his retort? It was, how can I except some man show me? And boy, that, that, uh, that embellishes what Brother Ken just preached to us tonight, whereby we must be saved. The book of Romans tonight, Romans chapter 10. I love missions conferences. I love missions conferences because I believe our Lord loves missions conferences. I don't believe there's any meeting that a church can have that's more vital to the cause of Christ than a missions conference. And it's not just it's not just the money that we give to missions, but even more so the burden that is gendered for missions. 
I have found where there is a burden, everything else will fall into place. It'll all fall into place. So I want to go to Romans chapter 10 tonight. We know that the book of Romans was written by the first New Testament missionary sent out by the church. I know our Lord was, in a sense, a missionary. I understand that. But the very first New Testament missionary that was sent out by the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13 was the Apostle Paul and his cohort, Barnabas. We do know that Paul took three missionary journeys in and we do know, dearly beloved, that before, before it was over, that the whole world had heard the gospel. In the first section of the book of Acts, when the center of ministry was in Jerusalem, in 5 and 24, it says they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. That's what Brother Ken was preaching. Then in the second section of the book of Acts, from chapter 9 on, where the apostle Paul comes into the field, the Bible says in chapter 17 in verse 6, it said, these are they which have turned the world upside down. That flavor is evident, dearly beloved. That focus is evident all the way through the Pauline writings in the New Testament. Here, his great doctrinal treatise the book of Romans where the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of salvation and the doctrine of service is expounded. We continue to find his emphasis on getting the gospel to the world. That's what this conference is about. So with that in mind, I, I want to read, and you can remain seated. I want to read verses, uh, uh, verse 13 down through verse number 18. And let's just see what the Holy Spirit has for us in these verses tonight. For whosoever, and I love that word in the Bible, don't you? That's, that's anyone. That's all of us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? I want you to notice there's a series of four questions that the Apostle Paul asks here. And in these four questions, Paul gives us the totality of New Testament missions. We'll look at that momentarily. Let's read on in verse 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now he's quoting Isaiah here, but they have not, as a matter of fact, he's quoting him in chapter 6 when Isaiah's calling came to him. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for he saith, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? There's one thing for sure. Not everyone that we preach to is going to get saved. But everyone that gets saved must be preached to. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? And he answers the question, yes, verily. 
Their sound went into, and notice the next phrase, all the earth. There it is right there. Paul is reminding us of the ultimate focus of missions. All the earth. And look what he goes on and says, and their words unto the ends of the world. Unto all the earth and unto the ends of the world. How? And I use that word how because Paul used it. How is that going to happen? In verse number 14, in the first part of verse number 15, the apostle Paul asked four questions. Nevertheless, in reality, dearly beloved, Paul isn't just asking a question or some questions here. Paul is making some statements. He is making some very clear and concise statements that comprise the totality of the ministry of missions. I want to extract four words from these questions slash statements, and I want to magnify the heart of the Apostle Paul. Probably the greatest missionary ever sent out of the New Testament church. I want to magnify his heart for a lost and dying world. And by the way, folk, you ought to be burdened for Pontotoc, Mississippi. But understand this. We are all debtors to a lost and dying world. The first word I want you to see, dearly beloved, is seen in verse number 14, and it is the word believed. Underline the word or circle the word believed there. Because in the word believed, Paul is making a statement as to the aim of missions. What is the aim of missions? What is our goal in missions? He states it again in verse number 18. Their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the end of the world. The the, the aim of missions, dearly beloved, is to see people believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. It's not just about building churches and building buildings and having programs This missions conference, this church, our preaching and our ministries are all about getting the word of God out there so people will have a chance to be saved. Are you saved tonight? If you were to raise your hand and say, yes, I am, it is because somebody came to you and preached to you and told you about the grace of God in his son Jesus Christ. So in the word believed, Paul is making a statement as to the aim of missions, and that aim of missions is to see people saved by the grace of God. But then there's a second word I want you to see here, dearly beloved, and it is in that second, it is in that, it is in that second question. Notice what it says here. And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? Amen. And then it pours over into that third question and it uses the word here. I want you to underline or circle that word heard there because in the word heard, Paul is making a statement as to the approach to mission. 
the approach to missions. You see, we've already said the aim of missions is that everybody hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They may not all believe, but if they do believe, they're going to have to hear. But what is our approach, dearly beloved, to them hearing the gospel? The approach is simply this, and that is that we go and that we preach the gospel, that we go and we tell the message. Just the word heard there conveys the thought that if they are going to believe the message of the gospel, they must audibly hear the words of And so Paul is making a very clear statement here about the approach to missions. The approach to missions. Notice the third question. And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? In the word preacher there, I want you to underline that or, or circle that because in the word preacher, dearly beloved, Paul is making a very clear statement as to the ambassador for missions. Who are the ambassadors? They are the representatives. They are the ones that are authorized and they are the ones that are sent to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ so that men might hear and be saved by the grace of God. I want you to know tonight, God is still calling ambassadors. God is still sending representatives. In a sense, we are all that. Every one of us are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. All of us are to be testators of the truth of the gospel. All of us are debtors to all men that are around us. And in that sense, dearly beloved, we need to be carrying the message of the gospel. And yet, dearly beloved, in the sense of the church and in the sense, dearly beloved, of the work of New Testament missions, God is still reaching out and God is still calling missionaries to go into the regions where Christ has never been named. So we see the word believed, and in the word believed, Paul is making a statement as to the aim of missions. In the word heard, Paul is making a statement as to the approach to missions. In the word preacher, Paul is making a statement as to the ambassador for missions. But look at this last question slash statement in verse 15. How shall they preach except they be sent? I want you to notice the word sent there. Underline the word sent or put a circle around the word sent because Paul is making a very clear statement as to the authority for missions. The authority for missions. I want you to understand tonight that God has not put this authority in the hands of the government. 
God has put this authority in the hands of the church. It is the church's responsibility to see to it that his great commission is carried out. It is the church's responsibility to ordain missionaries and to send them into the regions where Christ has never been named. And to that end, we come tonight... We come this week and gather for this conference. There's the essentialities of this message. Let me go back through. Let me expand and expound upon it just a little bit and I'll be done. What about the aim of missions? The aim of missions, dearly beloved, is that people be saved. We want to see people saved. We want to see people repent of their sin and come in to the grace of God. We want to see people, whether it's the Lakota Sioux Indian Reservation or the people of India, we want to see people's names written in the book of life. We want to see people come to the Lord Jesus Christ that they might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul states that here. In verse number 9, he says, thou shalt be saved. In verse number 10, confession is made unto salvation. Uh, in, verse, uh, in verse number 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's got to be the motivating factor. It cannot be the size of our church or the size of our work or the number of our people. It cannot be the sums of money that we take up and send out for missions. It must be, as Brother Ken so beautifully preached a moment ago, it must be about people. It must be about the souls of men. That's what ought to drive us to preach. That's what ought to drive us to pray. That's what ought to drive us to go. It's all about the souls of men. And how are men going to be saved? They must believe. They must believe. He says it all the way through this text. That if thou shalt believe in thine heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Whosoever believeth on him. Let me just give you three thoughts here about how men and women get saved. Number one, there must be a choosing. There must be a choosing. I know there are differing opinions on this, but my heart is besieged with the truth that I read in these verses. And that is, if any man ever gets saved, he must make the choice to believe. God does not do that for him, my friend. God tells us in the scripture here that it is incumbent upon a man of his own free will to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that in verse number nine. He says, dearly beloved, if thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Verse 10, for with the heart, man's heart, he believeth unto righteousness. Whosoever believeth on him, he is magnifying the fact that any man that ever gets saved is because he chooses to believe. But how is he going to choose to believe if he's never heard? 
word. That's what the second question asks. How shall they believe on him who they've not heard? There are places in the world tonight where the gospel's never been preached. There are no churches. There are no copies of the word of God. And yet those people will die and go to hell even if they don't hear the gospel. And their blood will be upon our hands because we not only know but we've been given a commission. But not only must there be a choosing, there must be a calling. There must be a calling. In verse number eight, he talks about the word is nine to thee even in thy mouth. In verse number nine, thou shalt confess with thy mouth. In verse Uh, In verse number 12, the same Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. In verse number 13, for whosoever shall call. When when people get saved, truly saved, it not only comes about as a result of a choosing, but it comes about as a result of a calling. When I say this, I'm not just talking about a prayer. I'm not belittling that. Some people prayed an audible prayer when they got saved. Other people didn't. But I think we need to be very careful about overemphasizing that because it's not the words that you say, but, oh, it's the motive of your heart. And the call here, what it's magnifying more than anything is when a sinner sees his lost condition and when a sinner sees the Savior's great sacrifice for his sin, the cry of the heart comes forth. Oh God, save a wretched sinner like me. Oh God, they may not be able to verbalize it in theological language, may not say it the way we would say it, but God is doing more than listening to the words. God is looking at the heart. When people get saved, there must be a choosing, there must and will be a calling. And there must and will be a confessing. God has no secret service in his army. There are no secret disciples. I love the words of the apostle Paul where he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. And here he says very clearly, (coughs) verse 11, for the scripture saith, Whoso believeth on him shall not be ashamed. When a person really gets saved, they're going to confess it. First place they're going to confess it is in that baptistry. They're going to be unashamed to go before the church in a lost and dying world and say, once I was lost, but now I'm found. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. Second place they're going to go, my friend, is out there into the highways and byways and hedges to the home they live in, to the family they lead, to the places where they work and the places they go. They're going to be unashamed to proclaim and boldly proclaim, I am the Lord's and the Lord is mine. But what about this approach? What about this approach to missions? He says, how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard. What is it that they need to hear? They need to hear the word of God. As a matter of fact, look what it says in verse number eight. But what saith it? 
The Word, the Word, capital T, the Word, this right here. The Word is nigh unto thee, and even in thy mouth, that is the Word of faith which we preach. Amen? Amen? If people are going to get saved, they must hear the Word of God. That is our approach to missions. It is all about putting ourselves in a place, in a position, putting the church in a place, in a position and putting missionaries in a place and a position where they can preach the word of God because when men hear the word of God they have a chance to be saved. Look at verse number 17. So then Paul sums it all up in verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you do not believe that this is the approach, listen to this. Verse 21, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Dear folk, that's what the Great Commission is all about. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it says to go and teach. In Mark chapter 16, in verse 15, it says go and preach. In Luke chapter 24, verse number 47, and that the preaching of repentance and remission of sins, it should be preached in all the world for his namesake. When God was commissioning Simon Peter to do what he did on the day of Pentecost, and that was to stand up and feed the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he said, Peter, feed my sheep and feed my lambs. As Brother Ken preached last night in Acts chapter one and verse eight, he said, when the Holy Ghost is come upon you, you shall be, not might be, not maybe be. You'll be like Simon Peter and those disciples who could not help themselves. They had to speak the words of truth. That is the approach to missions. It's not about building hospitals. Nothing wrong with that. But when we build those, it ought to be to open up another avenue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about building orphanages, though those are noble. James tells us in his epistle that it's pure religion and undefiled before God, but it ought to be simply another opportunity, way, and means to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about planting churches, incubators for new life. Incubators for new life, places, churches where people can hear the gospel and be saved and then grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ as they are taught. But then what about the ambassador? What about the ambassador? He says very clearly, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Brother Ken said it beautifully a while ago. Somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to tell. Do you know God's made provision of that for that? Ephesians chapter 4, such a strategic chapter in the doctrine of the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, he's 
talking about how God gave gifts unto men. The gifts that he speaks of in Ephesians 4 are the supervisory gifts, the gifts of leadership in the church. He talks about how Jesus descended into the lower part of the earth. Where did he go? He didn't go to hell. He went to paradise. Paradise was a compartment within Hades. It was separated from a great gulf by those that were burning in hell. We know that from Luke 16 and the conversation between the rich man and Father Abraham. Jesus went down there, and according to Simon Peter, he preached to those saints that were in prison. I can just hear him say, Father Abraham, I'm the one of whom it is said before you were, I am. You saw my day, and you were glad. I'm the ram that was caught in the bushes. He looked, he looked over at Moses and said, Moses, I'm the fire that burned in the bush, and the bush was not consumed. I believe he looked at Joshua and said, Joshua, I'm the angel of the Lord. I did not come to be anybody's side, but I came to take over. Daniel? I'm the one that shut the mouths of the lions. Fire, you three Hebrew children. I'm the one like unto the son of man. Then he said, boys, pack your bags. And he grabbed two two handfuls of paradise and hauled it out of the heart of the earth and took it into the third heaven. On the way up, my friend, on the way up, it was so cataclysmic that the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament saints came out of their graves and walked around. But you know the first thing he did when he rose? He gave gifts unto men. He gave those gifts of leadership. There was apostles of which there are no more. They passed off the scene with the apostolic period. There were prophets. We no longer have foretellers because we have a more sure word of prophecy. But the spirit of the prophet still lives and preaches thus saith the Lord. There were evangelists and all the evangelist is is a New Testament missionary. This is what Paul expressed to young Timothy when he said do the work of an evangelist and there were pastors and teachers God has made provision dearly beloved for gifts uh, gifts of evangelism and gifts of missions and those gifts he's given to men and placed a calling upon their life that they might go into the regions of the world where Christ has never been named how are they going to hear without a preacher how are the Lakota Sioux Indians going to hear dearly beloved with Without Ken Trivet, how are the Pakistanis and the Indians going to hear without Wilson Sarapaldi? On and on and on I can go. If they're going to hear, somebody's got to go and tell them. There must be an ambassador. A computer cannot replace this. It can help facilitate it. I'm not putting it down. I thank the Lord that during COVID, God has given us electronic means and ways of evangelizing. I'm, I, I'm certainly sure that if the Apostle Paul were alive today, he would utilize these things. But the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of the word will never be replaced. And behind those computers is a burdened heart and someone with a burden and a passion to get them the message. But know this, dearly beloved, God is still calling preachers and God is still sending ambassadors to go. And then it brings me to the last one, and that is the authority. How shall they preach? Except they be sent. And all you have to do is go to Acts chapter 13 and 
Paul and a group of the leadership group there in the church at Antioch, one of the first Gentile churches in the New Testament. It became the center and the arena for worship among the Gentiles. It became the poster child for world missions. There they are having a prayer meeting. They're ministering to the Lord. And boy, we see something about the heart of God right here, Brother Kevin. You you see, dearly beloved, Jerusalem was important. And when they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine, that was important. But that's not what Acts 1 and 8 says. It doesn't just say Jerusalem. It says both Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. They weren't doing that. So God raises up Saul in chapter 9. And Saul is persecuting the church on his way to Damascus. God knocks him off the back of that beast. And a light brighter than the noonday sun shines not only in his eyes, but in his heart. And Paul is converted as a result of Paul's persecution. The church is scattered and goes to the unknown world. Paul gets saved about that time. Ultimately, he ends up in Antioch and he fellowship with that church for about a year. And right in the middle of a prayer meeting, God tells not Paul, God tells not Barnabas, he tells all of them. He tells the church, separate these men for the work whereunto I have called. I just want you to know, friend, God has put the responsibility squarely in the lap of the church. God's not asking the government to do it. God's not asking education to do it. God is commanding the church to send them out and to send them in the regions of the world where they might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved by the grace of God. What does the scripture tell us? Well, the first thing they did was they set them aside. They gave the church time to watch them and for them to prove themselves. That's important. There's too many guys, I think, wanting to go to the mission field too soon. They're not ready. And and then there's a lot of people going to the mission field that aren't rightly related to the church and will not put themselves under the authority of a pastor. I want to remind you, Paul could have gone, but he didn't. When the Lord called him, he didn't just speak to Paul. He spoke to that church. They set them aside, and then they sent them. They laid hands on them, pray for them, and they sent them, and that's Acts chapter 13, verse number 4. They sent them away. They sent them with two things. Number one, they sent them with their prayers. One of the greatest messages I've ever heard on that, I heard Brother Ken preach in our church. Brethren, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. That the word of the Lord may have free course, for not all men have faith. They prayed for them. They sent them with their prayers, and they sent them with their payments. They didn't just send them. They supported them. Brother Ken was talking about money. And boy, that seems to be sometimes just to be a a nasty word around the church. I remember Dr. Bill Allen, a good friend of my father's, and he preached for me too after my father died. And he was a great missionary statesman. You've probably heard me say this, but I'll say it again. He used to say, we love to sing the song, send the light, but we grieve at paying the light bill. And the truth is, dearly beloved, Ken Trivet can't go to Pine Ridge and stay there without money. 
no more than you can live in Pontotoc, Mississippi without money. I don't have time tonight, but I could take you through instance after instance in the New Testament where they supported these men of God, these men that were sent out of the church in order to do the work that they were doing. I, I think we need to be careful lest we get to the place where we depend on these things. If there's anything that I've learned in this six years of traveling and preaching, it's this. I've learned that God has taught me I don't live off of what you give me. I live off of what I give him. It is as I give to him, and I'm faithful in the area of giving, that God moves on you to give back to me. So if you don't, it doesn't matter. Somewhere down the line, God's going to bring it in. God's going to give me what I need. He's always going to give me what I need. I believe every missionary ought to be a member of a local church. I believe he ought to tithe and give to that church. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. If it's good for the church member, it's good for the missionary. Because it is in giving that we receive. I'm not trying to preach on that tonight, but I just want to magnify the authority of the church in visions. You want to read that, you go to Acts chapter 13 and verses 1 through 4, and you see how Paul got his start. Now understand this, dearly beloved. God does not have any organizations. He only has an organism, and it's the church. It's the church that he works through. When he wrote that apocalyptic book of Revelation, he spoke to seven churches and spoke through the angels or the messengers to those churches. So God help us tonight to realize that the awesome responsibility of the Great Commission has been placed squarely on our shoulders. How can I except some man show me? May God take his word and bury it deep in our hearts tonight and prepare us for a year of giving and going. Father, bless your word for me. Thank you for it tonight. Thank you for the privilege to be here for what we've already heard tonight. Thank you for Brother Ken. Thank you for Brother Kevin this church. Thank you for their faithfulness to you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Ken and Kevin, you come.